Hello and welcome to Goodbye to All That, Pot Breaks After Party for our favorite shows. Today we are here to talk about the third season of CBS All Access's Star Trek Discovery, based on the sort of prequel series uh, to the original Star Trek series from the 1960s. Joining me today, I am happy to welcome not one, but two Star Trek experts who also host the Film Damage podcast and Holodeck Tech, uh, which is an unofficial commentary track uh, for every episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, Mike and Max. So that way our, our uh, listeners uh, can orient themselves. Mike, we'll start out with you. Hi. Um, can you- <laughs> and Max? Oh, Max is already messing things up. Uh-oh. <laughs> so let's try that again. Mike, we'll start with you. Hey, hello, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm pretty pretty good. Yeah, discovery's awesome. over with, so you know it's uh, I can take a nap now. It's nice. <laughs> and uh, Max, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm having a fun time uh, breaking the format of podcasts. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So uh, for people who don't watch Star Trek Discovery, as I said, it is an it is a sort of prequel series to the original Star Trek. Um, although this season kind of shakes that up a bit because it follows in its third season. Uh, it follows Michael Burnham and her friends as they jet across time and space and uh, wind up in about what was it like 930 years into the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is which is even for the most futuristic Star Trek, uh, pretty pretty distant future. Uh, so that's kind of where we're going to start today. Um, I want to know first, like uh, both of your like history with the Star Trek series, like how deep do you guys go, um, and also uh, how you've been feeling about Star Trek Discovery up until this point, before we hit the time jump of season three. Um, so Max, let's start with you. Um, how deep does my my Star Trek um, viewing and experiencing go. Um, I, I, as far back as I could remember, I've been a Star Trek fan. Um, I was pretty much like my mother was a Star Trek fan, and I was um, brought into it before I was able to, you know, read. So I knew the characters, and I was a fan ever since then. Um, it wasn't until many, many years went by that I realized that I didn't. I wasn't like forced by any sort of social or ethical, moral or spiritual obligation to watch every single thing. Um, but I eventually got around to it. Um, but uh, uh, the transformation that Star Trek has undergone in the past three years, um, basically starting with Discovery and branching out into all these other shows on CBS All Access, I think is um just about the the best it's ever been that's awesome um mike how about you can you give our listeners a little bit of background on where you come from in the star trek world yeah i came a little bit later than max uh i I saw my first uh star trek stuff in junior high uh, as kind of like an extension of being like a star wars fan and sort of immediately became hooked on that and it became uh, sort of the driving force in my life for for the next you know maybe like four or five years, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. And uh, I'm in agreement that what they're doing on CBS All Access right now is pretty great. In a lot of ways, I feel like uh, they've solved a lot of um, problems that 
that Star Trek has had in the past. Not that, you know, it's been bad or anything like that. I mean, it's still, you know, it always has. been some of the best. <laughs> and, and sometimes it has, but not always. But yeah, I mean, I've seen I can give every... dates if you want to. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sure. Uh, but, but I've seen all 801 episodes and um, I'm a, a fan of uh, all of it or most of it, I guess. Awesome. So for me, um, I really am a pretty big newbie when it comes to Star Trek. Uh, I haven't seen any of the original films or the Next Generation films or any of those old TV shows from the 60s or the 80s and 90s. Uh, I really got interested in Star Trek during the Chris Pine era of films. I've seen all three of those. and I'm a fan of all of them. Um, Even Into Darkness, I know it's not the best, but I'm kind of like a defender of that movie. Um, I liked, I always, I love an alternate history sort of story, and that movie sucked me in with that. Um, (laughs) uh, And I kind of, I've been a little bit afraid to dive too deep into the TV stuff, because the canon is just so vast, and there's just so many hours and hours of episodes to to orient yourself with. Um, But Star Trek Discovery always seemed like a pretty good entry point for me, and I finally took the plunge uh, earlier this, well, I guess now last year, in 2020, um, during quarantine, when I was looking for something to do, uh, when I was stuck at home all day, thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to finally catch up on Star Trek. Uh, so I did. And I watched, I watched the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. I wrote about that for Pop Break. You could check that out, um, in our archives. Um, and then I got to watch weekly, uh, Star Trek Discovery season three, and I've really enjoyed the ride so far, and I'm very excited to dive in deep on this season. Um, so I guess my biggest question for both of you at this point is, how do you feel about the fact that we are now almost a thousand years into the future of like the previously established canon of Star Trek? Uh, for people who aren't watching the series regularly, uh, at the end of season two, uh, Michael Burnham, who is St- uh, Spock's um, adopted sister um, <laughs> and one of like the main people on the Discovery crew, Uh, kind of takes this, like, one-way ticket ride into the future to save, like, all of existence, basically, for complicated reasons. Um, And the crew decides to to follow her through the wormhole uh, to support her. And, um, yeah, then we start at, we end up the start of season three in this very new reality that we've never really seen before. They succeeded in saving the future, but what is the future that they have saved is a question that sort of opens up this season. Um, Mike, how did you feel about those opening episodes where you're orienting to this brave new world of Star Trek like you've never seen before? Um, I thought they were pretty good. I mean, I, I, conceptually, I was perfectly fine with them jumping ahead 930 years. I think that, that that's a, a, a valid thing to do, and I can totally understand why they did it in order to divorce themselves from uh, canon restrictions and just, you know, have fresh snow and, and all that stuff. But at the same time, I couldn't really wrap my head around what 930 years in the future would be. <laughs> and I think they did a pretty good job of establishing that. And I, once, the, once they did establish it, that's when I really kind of locked into the season and uh, became invested in, in the, the story that they were telling. 
Max, how about you? How did the time jump work for you? I know time jumps can oftentimes be kind of controversial um, in genre fiction and any fiction, really, because it, it gives, on the one hand, it gives the creative oppor- the creatives an opportunity to sort of reset uh, the status quo in an exciting way that then we can explore for a whole season. But on the other hand, you're losing a status quo that maybe people really liked and enjoyed. I think one of the main drivers to those original first two seasons was getting to see sort of this fresh take on the original canon and get to play with all of those toys that we haven't seen since the 60s in a lot of cases. Um, And now all of that is washed away and we're in an entirely different reality. So how did that work for you? Well, I mean, I think, I think there's a, I think there's a little bit of silliness there. I mean, because there's the, there's the, there's the typical time jump you see in fiction, like uh, very often you'll see like one year later and mm-hmm. they'll like, like, like track to uh, like the character who we saw moments ago, but it's been a year and they've got a scar on their face and they're, they're <laughs> like, they're like there's a, there's a picture of their, their most like, like beloved friend on the wall with a knife stuck through it. And you're like, wow, what happened in that missing year? But like, this is not that this is like everyone we know on this show has gone to a new time. So the only disjointed aspect of, of like, like what did we miss? We are sharing that experience with all the characters that we already know. So they're going through this, like, well guys, what happened in this missing chunk of time? And so we're along with the ride. So the only real, like, time jump there is is for like this this nerdy sort of like canonical thing of like they totally missed like all of next gen and all the all the cool stuff they're even past all the random crazy nonsense that enterprise did with the temporal cold war Uh, so like (laughs) like that's the that's the thing that they've time jumped they haven't really done anything aside from say yeah we're not doing the same thing anymore and the only real problem i have with it is that it wasn't different enough it still felt a lot like traditional star trek they were still in their ships they were still fighting bad guys who shot ship guns at them and they still were like our shields are are too low and we can't take it anymore and we've got to we've got to beam them up but we can't beam them up because of the radiation i guess maybe question mark uh, it was all kind of the same thing but like they had phasers in their wrists like my, that's my criticism i wanted it to be much weirder and i'm still waiting for that yeah they like they have personal teleporters now which is cool right and they like don't need to carry around a tool with them it just kind of like pops up out of their wrist like you said um, and there is some status quo changes. Like I know there was a lot of uh, a lot to be said about like Andorians were with other races that they never used to be with, and there was like races that were okay with slavery, which was really out of the norm and stuff like that. But but I would agree that um, for it to be almost a thousand years in the future, it it does kind of uh, kind of stretch credulity a little bit. Like if you think about like if all of the sudden, like, a ship from, like, ancient Rome just, like, popped up on the shores of, mm. like, you know? Yeah. It's, like, if that would be, I guess that's 2,000 years in the future. Let's go to, like, the Crusades era, right? Like, if, like, uh, if a battalion of Crusades era fighters just, like, rolled on the shore of modern-day France, I think that they it would be a little bit more disorienting than what we saw with our crew. 
<laughs> oh yeah, uh, no, it, like the, it, it's a it's a bananas amount of time to to not be around for, and it's a ridiculous amount of information that they don't have, and the idea that te- technology has evolved over all this time and they just like i assume went to like a three-hour seminar on how to use programmable matter <laughs> and then they were all like got it nailed it and they were like a hundred percent at like at that point nah nah guys. yeah there's there's a lot that is there's a lot made early like in those first few episodes where people like uh like jump on board discovery and they're like where did you get such a museum of a ship and it's like there's no way like that would be so bizarre if you just like that would be like as if today like a, a bunch of like naval or officers just boarded like a wooden ship that which is like fully operational you're just like wait what how is this even like it would be much more than just like wow this is pretty old tech like what oh yeah and that if a, that if kind a of stuff perfect really tutor vessel pulls up in the bay somewhere and some fisherman sees it he's gonna be like 100 percent. those are either time travelers or ghosts <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I think more people should have jumped to the conclusion of ghosts, in my opinion. They could have done a whole episode about that. that would it's have been right fun. there. It explains <laughs> everything. But what did you guys think, uh, like, Mike, what did you think about some of the kind of status quo changes in regards to the Federation and Starfleet and uh, some of the different alien races that we check in on uh, in this season? Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, what they they chose to do with it. And it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. You know, the Federation has always been, you know, this kind of stable element throughout all of Star Trek. And to take that away, I think, really opens up the door to a lot of uh, stories and, and a lot of commentary and everything like that. I mean, you know, the Federation in a lot of ways, you know, is kind of the... The, the mirror to today's, you know, U.S. And, um, you know, the idea that the U.S. could go away in 900 years and what that would mean, it, it's it's an interesting concept. And, you know, something which is, I think, kind of relevant, and Star Trek has always been relevant to to what's going on uh, in, in the present day. So I, I think it, it offered uh, an interesting story to be told. And what do you think about, like, some of the developments that we saw when it came to, like, Navarre becoming a planet um, where the Romulans and the Vulcans finally make peace and are, have this tenuous alliance on the same planet? Um, or something like the, you know, the the planet that they go on um, to uh, to help one of our new characters, Adira Tall. Um, and their tenuous relationship with the Federation um, at this phase. Like, what did you what did you think of all of that um, in this new season? Yeah, I think it's it's all it all kind of like ties into the to the I don't know dis- destruction of the Federation, whatever whatever it was, the the downfall of the Federation, and and I think that they found a good way of uh, highlighting you know kind of like how the the Federation's problems have sort of created this dramatic shift throughout the the galaxy and certainly i mean the the stuff with with vulcan and the romulans and the vulcans and everything i mean that's that's a big change and everything and there are fans which would definitely and did definitely you know kind of nerd out about that i mean i I found it to be interesting but ultimately it's not something which is gonna you know make or break a show for me and you know the same thing with with the trill where where adira 
uh, went to and everything like that. I mean, it was kind of cool to see um, something that we're familiar with from the canon and, and see how it has evolved over the last uh, millennia, millennium. But um, it's not it's not something which I'm going to get super excited about personally. But there are definitely fans who get super duper excited about it for sure. Now, one of the one of the more interesting things that I thought about this season, and this feels like definitely their big idea for like the status quo shift, was the concept of the burn, and that was where uh, all the dilithium that was in every ship in the entire known galaxy, and the dilithium is uh, sort of the the mineral that is a fuel source for the hyperspeed um, drive that exists. It all kind of blew up all at once, and it was this. Inc- cataclysmic atrocity thousands maybe millions died i think um and uh and it destabilized the entire the entire known quadrant and quadrants beyond uh because it really limited the capacity for uh long distance travel and that caused the federation to kind of break apart and one of the main things that michael burnham when she finally adjusts to this new time uh it one of the main things that she focuses on is trying to figure out what really happened with the burn and maybe being able to uh, reverse it or at least assure that it will never happen again. Um, I'm curious, uh, Max, what do you think about that as the sort of like narrative spine for this season that already had a pretty compelling spine of just like, oh, we're in the future, let's just weekly check in on uh, a, a fan favorite uh, planet that we, we haven't now seen for a thousand years. What did you think about that choice? Um, well, I thought that it was um, the logical choice uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I think that Star Trek always being about the present day, like it's always been about right now, right here, uh, the idea that Enterprise was leaping to the future and Star Trek's hopeful vision of the future presumably just gets more and more hopeful. It didn't quite match up with our reality so star trek had to mirror it in some way but still be aspirational so the discovery becomes our way of taking star trek into a future star trek world that more closely politically matches our own so i think that the the concept of the burn was their basically their way of coming up with a star trek version of um, the rise of social media and curated news feeds and the disjointed way that different people see entirely different realities nowadays. And it seems impossible to communicate with some people who believe entirely different universes exist around them. Uh, and, And Discovery has been a world where they can't communicate with people because of this burn that happened because... Apparently, a, a, a guy's mother died, and he was so distraught that, <laughs> yeah, that his we'll connection that. <laughs> to dilithium blew everything up. And I'm like, is Sukal Zuckerberg? I don't know. Like, but like, it does we'll, all map. Yeah, we'll get into the resolution well. of that arc in a little while, but just the broad scope of the sh- of that choice we can focus on now. Yeah, but like, it's like I I loved the idea of the burn because it was necessary in order to make this show still relevant to now. And uh, like, as much as I wish that it was a little bit more um, interesting or, or or exciting or 
political i mean none of that matters really like ultimately like it's on theme it makes its point it it works it's i i, I loved the burn at first and uh, at the end i'm like all right the burn worked <laughs> that's good that's really that's a really interesting take i had not really considered it as sort of a you know a metaphor for the uh fractured social media era that we're living in for me i always i was just kind of uh, looking at it more superficially, I guess, it's sort of like a, uh, you know, an analogy analogy to climate change and like scarce resources of the future and that sort of thing in the way that um, yeah, that a- can destabilize our potential society as well. Let's just hope it's not a prophecy. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know if we all end up in space and then have an ecological disaster. That's not the worst. <laughs> I feel like that's better than what the forecast we're currently on. <laughs> I don't know, my but, wife has made it clear I'm not allowed into going to go into space. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not an option. Well, maybe you could just hang out with the tree at Starfleet Academy. Then they really seemed excited to to visit it yeah, in that episode. Cool. <laughs> uh, Mike, how about you? What did you think about the burn as this unifying uh, spine for the season? Uh, you know, conceptually, I, I'm okay with that. You know, the idea like that there is some sort of catastrophic event, which is, uh, you know kind of i'm not going to say unifying you know but like fracturing or whatever you know unifying in the same way that a catastrophic event affects everyone you know like that sort of thing i'm okay with that i i thought that sort of like the mechanics of it didn't really work tremendously well you know the idea of saying like there is an event which destroys all the dilithium in the galaxy and you know blows up all these ships and everything like i understand that it's sci-fi and i understand that you know there could be a billion explanations for a billion things but there's just something about that on the surface which makes me think really like this is what we're doing i just have trouble connecting to that idea and um I, th- that's kind of like the, the the big the big issue for me. I mean, and also with with the resolution, I, I, I again I could understand thematically what they're going for, but I uh, wasn't necessarily on board with with how they resolved the story. So, I mean, I, I can totally understand why they did all this stuff. I just kind of wish they did it slightly differently. Sure, that may, I think that's fair. Um, I think they also, like, one criticism that I had with the burn was that they kind of, they introduce it as this, this, like, incredible status quo shift where basically saying it's it's all but impossible to travel at hyperspeed um, because the dilithium is, is scarce and what is available is sort of, like, dangerously unstable potentially, so it's just basically not used for most places and most people. Um, and I feel like along the way they sort of kind of got a little bit lazy and we're like yeah but we also would like to travel fast to different places so so maybe some people do still have dilithium and can use it but it's running out and it's like all right that's kind of convenient that all of this you know like i thought especially some of this stuff got a little fuzzy with the emerald chain which is a sort of antagonist for the season um led by us Syra, um, where it's like all of the sudden there is a force in the universe that has uh, dilithium and, and is using it a lot, but it is secretly running out. So, so by the end of the season, it's sort of in the same place that everyone else is. Um, but because I thought that it was a cool idea that that um, you know Discovery is the ship that runs on a spore drive, and for people who haven't been watching the show, basically means that they can kind of travel through this sort of 
uh, interdimensional mushroom network that allows them to go through travel through space instantaneously. Uh, and it's the only ship that kind of ever had this technology. Um, and uh, it kind of makes it a unicorn in this new world where there's no hyperspace travel at all. And I thought that the most interesting thing about that uh, was sort of undermined by the fact that later on in the season, it seems like people were traveling back and forth great distances without really any effort, whether they had the discovery or not. I don't know. What do you guys think about that in terms of, you know, how that storyline kind of progressed? Yeah, they, they didn't really set up their rules uh, properly or clearly. You know, it, there was a lot of confusion as to, like, does this mean they can't use warp drive because they could all blow up? Does this mean they can't use warp drive because they barely have any dilithium? And they never really clearly answer those questions. And, and I mean, it's confusing. And, and I guess the question is, like, did they change their minds halfway through or, you know, fudge things a little bit in order to make it work? Or did they just not set it up properly uh, early on? And I'm not exactly sure what the answer to that is but there certainly was a lot of confusion and just one other thing that, that i would say about you know the burn which did kind of bother me was the fact that you know this was a huge mystery right and we knew because this is how the show works that this was going to be the mystery for the season but in the universe it really is kind of like everyone there like everyone has lived with this for literally their entire lives and now, you know, the discovery comes in, Burnham in particular, and they're like, we need to figure out what caused this. And everyone else is like, we've, we're over it. You know, like it happened a long time ago. Can we please just move on? We have bigger problems. You know, you're not going to solve this because why would you be able to solve this? No one's been able to solve this for 130 years. So yeah. that kind of bothered me. Just, the, I mean, I know that that's how the show works. I know that's how TV works, but it, it just it bothered me while watching it, you know? Yeah. I think, I think they made a decent enough case that it was in character for Michael, especially after basically sacrificing her entire life and, and the life of an entire crew of people um, to save the future that when she shows up in the future and realizes that it's, you know, it's not the dystopia that she was afraid of, but it's certainly not the utopia that she left that she would want to solve that problem. Um, but I do, I do think that they, that the urgency that other characters have around it is sort of questionable. Like she wins people over pretty quickly in terms of the, we need to solve this problem. And I do agree. I think there would be like, they do some pushback uh, in terms of like, this is not our most serious issue. And like the, the, the Vulcans and Romulans are certainly, uh, initially against exploring this topic, deciding that it is, it is settled history at this point that is, that is dangerous to try to reopen. So they touch on it a little bit, but I, I agree. I think that there, that there could have been more done with the sort of, uh, the disconnect between the urgency that she feels about fixing this future. That's not as perfect as she was hoping it would be. And everyone else who's actually lived with that for over a century. Again, I think it's, a problem of just how much time they decided would pass between both the burn itself and then like the amount of time that they that they traveled so, you know um it's just such a significant amount of time to kind of wrap your head around like if something horrible happened over a hundred years ago it would 
it just it would it's just different from it being something that happened within living memory even that we're still trying to reckon with right well some of those vulcans would remember it and they would be like yeah <laughs> we wasted a lot of time trying to figure out what happened there and you crazy person from the past in a ship from the past like that would be like us going okay you mysterious pirates from the, the 14th <laughs> century, I understand that you have some questions about the Zodiac Killer, but trust me, <laughs> you're not going to figure it out. You're still working on cell phones. So <laughs> I am inclined to take the other people's side and say their reluctance to indulge Michael Burnham's ridiculous quest to solve a mystery that has stood for an absurdly long time. I think that... I, that checks out to me <laughs> yeah i think that's entirely fair again i just i feel like if they had just decided that they jumped ahead like 300 years instead of 900 years and that this happened like 50 years ago instead of 130 years ago everything mm -hmm. about this would be a lot more plausible <laughs> and i mean just some inside baseball in terms of like why it's 930 years they wanted to make sure that they went further than the absolute furthest point which had been visited in the canon right so okay. you had uh, some episodes where you had people who were coming back in time from like 700 years in the future or whatever they wanted to get past all that so that there would like literally be nothing that they needed to to match up with uh with what had come before except for calypso apparently but uh that's a whole other thing entirely Calypso so. is the problem <laughs> <laughs> did you watch calypso the short trek I did not, no. Okay. Don't. <laughs> no, watch it. It's really good. It was written oh, by look, Michael Shabon. No, trust me, it's great, but it's going to get in your head. And if you're like me, you're going to be up at night, and you're going to get the red yarn and thumbtacks. <laughs> and, and then, like, your wife comes in, and she's like, what just happened? And you're, like, drunk, and you don't know what's going on anymore because you're crazed. Or maybe you're not like that. <laughs> well, that certainly sounds like a fun weekend. Uh, so I'll have to get on on that. <laughs> um, one thing that I wanted to move on to, there was a lot of new characters and some major characters left this season. Um, but before we get to that, there was a really important sort of position on the ship that was filled uh, this at the start of this season in a very unconventional way uh, that even I, as a person who is a fairly newcomer to Star Trek, kind of brushed up against. And that was the elevation of Ensign Tilly to the number two position on the ship. Um, for those of you who don't watch the show, Tilly is this kind of supporting character. She was Michael's friend uh, in, the, in the first season. She continues to be her friend despite sharing very little screen time with her. Uh, they're apparently best friends anyway um, <laughs> throughout these seasons. And, uh, you know, she's portrayed by Mary Wiseman, and, and Mary Wiseman is fairly high up on the on the call sheet. So in that sense, it makes sense that when they had an opening on the bridge that she would get elevated. But but in universe, she is basically like a, you know, a, what would you say? What would be the, the analogy to, um, like, a military situation for her? Is she a cadet, well, she... would you say? I think well, she, I think she was a cadet in season one, and then she was basically promoted to like the lowest ranking officer you could be in season two. You know, right? And so, so, and now in season three, she becomes the acting second highest ranking officer on the ship. And yeah. um, I'm curious what you guys thought about that. I mean, as I said, it makes sense from the fact that like 
who she is as a cat, like her prominence as a character and, and that sort of thing. But it still, it kind of, you know, I had some questions. Did, did that, did that bother you guys or were you able to go with that? Matt? Let, 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 let me take this one here because oh, I, okay, I, sure. I want to replay how this played out while we were watching it in real time. Okay. Uh, the, the, the position, you know, Burnham is demoted. So then the question becomes, who's first officer? And of course, we have that discussion. Everyone, you know, had that discussion. And I was like, well, I think it's going to be like Nilsson, who's like one of the, you know, the the secondary characters. And, and they're never going to talk about it, whatever. But she seems to be next in line and she will be the first officer and it'll just be, you know, nothing will change. And Max says, no, it's going to be Tilly. And I'm like, you are insane. That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> why would you think it's Tilly? And he's like, have, have you seen this show? I mean, it's going to be Tilly. And sure enough, it was Tilly. So good job, Max. Having predicted that, are you happy with that as a choice? I'm, absolutely, I'm delighted with it. I think okay. it's the right choice. Here's why. When you're watching a TV show, you're not watching a real-time documentary of these people's lives. You're seeing <laughs> fragments of their experiences. Like, there's a story in the season finale about, like, Michael and Tilly in a nacelle with a for a birthday and it's 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 crazy but it's like okay so there was like a birthday and she was sad because it was her birthday and like i mean what 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 <laughs> yeah. is this and that so, never like, happened right like i'm not forgetting that that never happened on the show right it never happened on the show but it happened <laughs> to them and it doesn't right. matter because they're not going <laughs> to show it happening to them because they haven't ever got around doing the telly podcast which is a no-brainer and a great idea okay but like <laughs> if they did that then they could have all kinds of other behind the scenes like when we're not like under fire or or escaping from something or fighting an angel from uh, the future like when when you're not doing that they're doing nonsense and we're not seeing them we are seeing Tilly a lot because when the chips are down Tilly comes to the rescue and saves the day because Tilly deserves to be first officer Tilly all the way <laughs> yeah i mean you made a very good case i was kind of thinking maybe they were going to set up detmer as the as the first officer because you know, they make a big deal about her having sort of post-traumatic stress disorder from not one, but two extremely traumatic crashes in a, in a pretty narrow space of time. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe they're kind of giving her more to do because she's going to get elevated. But that really ended up not going anywhere. She just, like, watched a black-and-white movie and, and everything was fine, I guess. It's, it's awesome to know. I wish I wish that we had the benefit of this, of the of the spore drive or what what is what are that's not the spore drive it's the sphere the, it's data. the sphere data sorry yes well, i so wish that we had the benefit Zora. oh okay which, which <laughs> well, is I, from calypso you, you gotta watch calypso it's i watch all the short tracks they're they're all pretty good but calypso prepared, in, particu in particular will, uh, yeah it, it'll mess you up but it's it is kind of a, a major piece of the the puzzle of discovery so yeah, yeah. it's a piece from a different puzzle <laughs> try to make it fit bro it, it, it is and, but they say i mean they they there was just a recent interview with michelle paradise and someone was like what about calypso is it still gonna you know and she's like it's canon we gotta make it fit and we will but okay the way that she answered it it really kind of felt like she didn't know how yet so <laughs> it'll be fun to see <laughs> regardless watch it it's great Okay, there's time, right? They still they got a couple more seasons left in them. They they'll have time to work it out. 
<laughs> in a world where there, where time travel exists, I feel like it's easier to solve these sorts of problems. But, uh... <laughs> but yeah, so I guess the next thing that I wanted to discuss is just, you know, some of the major characters that were added this season. We have Odette Fair playing Admiral Vance, uh, Blue Del Barrio playing Adira Tall, and Janet Kidder playing Osira. Those are kind of the three big additions. Um... What do you guys think about them? Like, do you feel like they added to the show? Like, you know, we basically have a new sort of, like, young uh, upstart uh, character in Adira Tall. We have a new uh, authoritative officer in Admiral Vance. And we have a, a new uh, antagonist in Osira. Um, were you... And, and were also, you guys, also what's we've that? Got, we've got uh, Cleveland Booker as well. Uh, of course, which is yeah. our... Our, uh, our passionate love interest for the season. Our Han Solo. <laughs> so, how do you? How, what do you guys think about about that uh, quartet of newbies? R oh. is not on board. Oh, sorry, um, my, my cat is uh, going crazy over here. He, I apologize. That's it. We talked about Booker. I hates the admiral. Can't take care. Of. He hates <laughs> the admiral so much. It's really weird. <laughs> No, I, I think in general, uh, the characters that, that they introduce are pretty cool. You know, uh, Cleveland Booker is, is someone who, you know, I mean, that that's kind of the, the sort of like outside choice sort of thing because he's not part of Starfleet or, or, or anything like that. But I think they did a pretty good job of establishing him and he's got a really cool cat. So that's cool. And, um, you know, the Admiral... I mean, there's a Star Trek has a very long history of problematic admirals, both in universe and also kind of like, uh, I don't know, production wise, like they've struggled very much to find a good fit for admirals. And it it really seems like uh, his name is Vance, right? Admiral Vance. Uh, he's he's one of the very best that they've they've had. So I, I think that he's kind of the the best addition to the to the series. And and I thought that uh, Osira was a, a cool bad guy. You know, kind of unexpected. And I I, I didn't think that they were going to go that route. You know, basically making like a I don't know, in, in some ways like a pirate. You know, the the bad the big baddie for the season, but it works. Max, how about you? Who was your favorite um, standout new character? I think they all worked really well. Like I, I, I was, I was happy with everyone. Um, I don't think I have a real, I have a standout character. I think that, like, ultimately, the one that lands, that lands is, is, is the admiral because he just was like supernaturally nice and. <laughs> like exceptionally wise and clever except for one time when he really dropped the ball on a very obvious problem anyway uh, <laughs> he's also he's, very handsome so he's allowed to drop the ball every once in a while yeah i don't know what it is about him he, like he just seems like you know he seems like a great guy i wish he was my dad I honestly, I had this like crackpot theory while I was watching it that they were going to reveal that he was actually like hologram and not a real person or like the ghost of a person from like a hundred years ago, like and as a hologram. Well, so I mean, there are, out. there are there are holograms in the past, like maybe one of his his ancestors was a hologram. He might be one eighth hologram. I think so. Right. Like that's possible in this world. Right. You can yeah, be why one not? hologram. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I also, I really, I have to second your your um, your praise of Cleveland Booker as a new character. I really liked him. I think that the this show has really struggled to find an interesting partner and love interest for Michael over the course of its its two previous seasons. Um, and I thought that. Uh, David Ajala, who who portrays Cleveland Booker, just came in and just did an excellent job. I mean, he he has chemistry with everyone on that show, including the cat. So a pretty easy pick in terms of like a, a love interest for Michael Burnham. But um, but I just thought that he was like so endearing and he was so fun. I'm actually I I'm a I watched Supergirl, um, and he had an arc in uh, like two Manchester seasons Black. ago on Supergirl. Exactly, Manchester Black, who and I thought that he was excellent on that show. And then that show just like ran out of time, and so like just spoiler alert, they just like sucked him into a into like a spear or something like that. And then it was just like he was gone. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? I thought this was a person I was supposed to care about. Um, so I was very happy to see him get a chance to shoot another sci-fi show in Vancouver. Um, and, uh, I thought he did a great job and he was like instantly worked well with like every part of the cast and crew that he got a chance to work with. Um, and he made me care more about all of the crazy future space stuff that I really had no kind of, um, <laughs> no direct in with since I didn't really know what the status quo was for a lot of those planets to begin with. So I really liked him. I thought he was a great addition. Yeah. He's super tough, super cool super handsome loves animals he's a great guy it's like the perfect catch really michael after everything she's been through michael really deserved this so i was i was happy for them he's like a more compassionate better looking han solo yeah i think he's he's way he is definitely in the kind of lovable rogue um like vein that han solo is but i think he's way better than han solo in pretty much like every dimension yeah (laughs) And, and uh, you know, I, I, I didn't mention Adira, but, you know, they're great, too. And, and I really do think that they're going to be a, a regular in, in season four. You know, I think they're going to take a much a much larger role on the show. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I really liked the little queer family that Paul and Hugh and Adira got to be. It was like very like as a queer person myself, that was like very nice to see such like not just representation for representation's sake, but like a really loving sort of found family that they got to have on that spaceship. And I thought that was really sweet, especially that then every once in a while, Tig Notaro got to just like pop in and yell at <laughs> Paul. And that was nice. <laughs> Let's not forget yeah. Gray. Like yeah. everyone is inclined to because Gray is yeah. a ghost. And I know I that, think that not being seen is a big deal for Gray. So let's just point out Gray's also there and Gray is great. Yeah, sure. And- <laughs> and and I, I think he'll, I, you know, I, clearly they're setting it up so that he won't be a ghost next season in, in whatever, whatever way they, they, they choose to, to take that storyline. And, um, yeah, I, I think that he'll play a much bigger role, too, you know. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that they, in my opinion, I feel like they needed to do a little bit more with Gray or a little bit less with Gray this season. I thought yeah. that he kind of like came and went in a sort of weird way where you, it, it's just like, I, I needed more time with that character to really care about him and their connection, or just have it be a tease where you only see him a couple of times and then you can kind of like really preview where it's headed next season. Did it work? How did that work for you guys? I, I just, I just hope that there's an episode next season where they like, explain what the heck is going on with the hologram gray and how like gray exists and like finally solve the problem of how can gray be seen and like really let the 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 metaphor of of being seen land in a big way by like getting into like 
here's the problem. You are, are in some, your identity is linked to Adira and in some way you have to detach it. Like that would be a fascinating thing. Like I would love that, but like, I, I'm not holding my breath for that. Cause they've got to blow things up. <laughs> they Max did a couple a really... of sad episodes where they just like spend some time in a, in a hallway talking about their feelings. So, so That's you true. could do that. Max had a big problem with the, uh, the technical mechanics of the hologram and uh, the finale there. So just... <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. There's a lot of questions about this finale, but before we do, I wanted to kind of briefly talk about um, some of the big departures that we had on this season um, that kind of like leads right into the finale talk, because of course, uh, Nan, who we barely got to know, uh, she uh, decided to leave in kind of, in my opinion, inexplicable reasoning, but um, I'll be very curious to get your takes on that departure. Um, and then, of course, we have two like major heavyweights, Giorgio and Saru, who leave towards the end of the season, um, seemingly permanently, although they both have kind of an open door to potentially uh, pop back up for an adventure here or there in the future. So um, starting off with the non-departure, how did that work for you? Because I found it all very confusing. I didn't really understand why she needed to go back with the ship like why like what happened with her per like the person who was from like her planet like if he got like if he had to go back to 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 starfleet or if he or if he had to go back to his planet or and like why she so wanted to see her planet which would be unrecognizable most likely <laughs> given how much time it passed well there um, might be a tree that's true. That's true. She might want to see her own tree. So there is that. But yeah, how did how did that departure work? She was a character who, uh, for people who don't know, she was kind of a secondary character who I think had a couple of nice moments in season two, but but definitely didn't get to kind of. I was I was looking forward to learning more about her, and she kind of quickly is dispatched with in the first half of the season to make room for some new characters. Uh, I was actually really shocked by her departure because. I mean, really, just, I mean, because of, like, credits, you know, she was uh, just a guest star throughout 10 episodes of season two. And then in season three, she shows up in the second episode, and she's listed in the opening credits as a series regular. And then three episodes later, she's gone. And the whole time, I, I mean, as Max can attest, I kept on saying, like, She'll be back in two episodes. No doubt she will be back, you know, and she never came back. So I, I, I don't know what <laughs> she must have like a really good agent. You know, I don't know why, especially when, you know, people like Oded Fair and, and Blue Del Barrio are not credited as, as series regulars and they're on like every episode. Why is she credited as a regular? But that really threw me. Like, if if she wasn't, I would be like, oh, okay, that's a nice little arc for this character. But the whole time, I, I kept on thinking, like, wow, I'm surprised that she's leaving, but I know that she'll be back any minute now. She's coming back, you know? Yeah, and then she just didn't. And she just it was didn't. weird. It was yeah. very weird. It was it was uh, like ever since that, I I I've been I've been making jokes like I. I, I, I go to the. I go to. The, I like leave the apartment to go to the pharmacy, and I'm like, "This is goodbye. I'm never gonna see you again." <laughs> uh, because they leave her there, and they have a ship that can go anywhere instantly. Right. And she's like, "Yep, 
I'll just be here for the rest of my life until I go back to my home planet and I'm going to be there for the rest of my life and then I'll never see you again. Like, you can go anywhere instantly. Leave me here for... Honestly, you could leave me here for, like, a solid weekend. That would be great. Like, <laughs> they just leave her there. It yeah, doesn't it was, make sense. I'm glad you said that because it really didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why they couldn't just, like, have her stay in that ship until she's, like... She, she, what The story in this episode is that uh, like members of her planet have this research vessel that has like all the mm-hmm. seeds in the universe and they go to and discovery goes to find it to get a seed to help solve some problem and they find out that like there's a guy who's there and his and he's like being radiated to death or whatever and and but he doesn't want to leave because his dead family is there and he doesn't want to leave his family so she kind of talks him into going with discovery to get healthy and then she's like, and then I'll just stay for the rest of the time that he was supposed to stay in this ship. And then I'll get to go back to my planet and, and it'll be great. Um, and it, it and like, I just, I guess when I explain it that way, that honestly makes more sense than I feel like even they explained it in the episode itself, which the, which was very rushed. Um, but but even still, it just feels like, why couldn't they just like have her stay in the, in the ship for like, I don't know, like a few hours until like space, like future magic heals the guy and then he gets to go back in his ship and and then everybody's fine and like if she wants to visit the planet they could just kind of like pop her over to the planet for a weekend and then come back like it doesn't it's very odd to me that she would decide to you know travel a thousand years into the future to out of solidarity for this crew and then immediately be like actually you know what i'm gonna i'm i'm good i'm gonna tap out now (laughs) i don't i don't really get how that makes any sense it definitely yeah. reveals a very like like an unspoken but far more severe than dilithium shortage, but like a far more severe than that like staffing issue that the Federation <laughs> has, where they need one person to just give up their job in order to maintain position on effectively like a lighthouse. It's weird. Yeah, and she's a security officer, right? So like she had a pretty important job. Um, Gotta maybe keep they them felt like they needed her safe. Up. Maybe they felt like they needed her off the ship so that when people hop on the ship later on in the season, they had a, you know, they didn't have quite as fierce of a of an opposition to deal with. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, a necessity took the hand of the writers and was like, I'll handle it. We need to do some stuff. Yeah, you it, it's almost like you wonder if she was written out for a reason, like maybe she like got pregnant or maybe she had another like a like another job that she wanted to leave the show for or Maybe she just didn't want to live in Canada anymore. Like, you know, like it's, it really felt like outside circumstances forced to that change. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get the impression that it was just they were they were they were running out of um, screen time for everybody, and you can't you can't give everybody who deserves it equal screen time when you have like seventeen stars. It's true, and like you need to have at least three scenes where Giorgio yells at someone in every episode. So. Obviously. Obviously. Wait, wait, that's a given. Um, that's that's contractual. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of Giorgio, who is played by the um, incredible Michelle Yao, uh, who I really can't believe this show got for as long as they did. It's really inexplicable to me that they managed to keep her around as long as they did. Um, but she does finally say goodbye um, through sort of alternate universe sideways story um, chicanery. And... Uh, how did that whole thing work for you guys? That two-part episode where 
where Giorgio gets to go back to the mirror universe where she where she gets to see how much she's grown as a as an evil empress um, and decide to uh, by the end to kind of go to parts unknown instead of sticking with Michael or or returning to her former past. Um, what did you guys think as like well, a, as a send off to to that character? Well, spoilers for you know the future or whatever but um it's something which has been in the works for years now like literally since season one of star trek discovery is a spin-off show in which michelle yo is going to star uh it's going to be a section 31 show so the writing has been on the wall here for like literally like three years um, this has been like officially announced and everything. They're you know hard at work on on you know writing the show and everything like that. So it, it was it was kind of like known going into this season that Michelle Yeoh would be departing. But the reason why she's departing is because she's getting her own series. And you know the big question now becomes like, well, where did she go? Like, when does this show take place? I, I think everyone kind of when is that- her show's time slot. <laughs> that too yeah um I, I think everyone kind of assumed that she was going to be going to the past because you know one of the things which has been sort of like talked about in interviews and stuff is that Shazad Latif uh is going to be on this section 31 show as well you know and he they, they left him in season two where he was like the head of section 31 so it just kind of makes sense that she would go back to that original time frame and that's where the show would take place but this throws a lot of doubt on that. And there's a lot of speculation that this could take place earlier. It could take place. Who knows? I'm kind of thinking it's going to take place in the sixties, to be honest. There's a lot of people who think it's going to take place in the, the original discovery timeline, but we, we just don't know. And, you know, hopefully we'll find out soon. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they pretty much leave it like she literally, for those of you who haven't watched, she literally just like goes into a black hole and like and the guy who who kind of opens it up for her is like this mystical like all-knowing being who's like you're gonna go to a place that's more like amicable to your needs and that's it and that's pretty much all we know so you don't know who that is (laughs) hold on mike i'll take this okay go for it so you don't know this is amazing i'm excited Uh, we 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 just like it's it's exciting because you're you're discovering something which everyone who we talk to this is literally star trek discovery (laughs) (laughs) yes yes it is it is so go go ahead bax you you tell okay so you don't know who the guardian of forever is I do not know who the Guardian of Forever is. Other this than is amazing. A, he's a he's a loyal reader of print media, and he has my respect <laughs> for that. The Guardian of Forever was, until that episode, never a guy. He was oh, okay. always, like, it. The Guardian of Forever, it, was always that doorway. That stone doorway that talked and opened doors through time. That uh-huh. was what it did, and it did it in a really weird, uh, uh, mysterious way, and it didn't seem to have any agency. It was just like, go to your past. You broke it. Do it again. <laughs> and that was all it did. And and it, like, and then in Discovery Times, it's like, all right, I had enough of you guys jumping around, breaking your past, so I went and I set up shop on this little mysterious planet. And it's awesome that you don't know who that is. Wow. 
This is but, exciting. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're looking for something, if you're looking for some context and also just kind of like looking to dip your toes in, you know. Yeah. Um, Watch a, Yesteryear. It's an episode of the animated <laughs> series. Don't don't listen to him. He's he's okay. The the I'm episode. Throwing wooden shoes and stuff, guys. Throwing them wooden shoes. The 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 episode that that this entity is in is considered to be like the citizen kane of star trek it's uh an original oh, wow. series episode called the city on the edge of forever it was written by harlan ellison and then there was very people. yeah it, it was it was there was very famously like clashes I, ellison wrote a book about his writing of this episode in which he talks about how terrible they they messed up his original story and all that stuff and it, it's it's an episode where basically um I don't think we should tell you. I think that you should watch it. I mean, this is like literally considered to be like the best episode of Star Trek, full stop. And you can totally watch it on its own. You don't need to know anything else about anything. You're you're fully aware of who Kirk, Spock, and Bones are from watching the the JJ movies and everything like that. Just put on the City on the Edge of Forever, watch it, and, uh, you know, just, just see what happens. Great. Yeah. It's all on CBS All Access, right? So I can definitely yeah. check that out whenever I want. Yeah. It's it's the second to the last episode of season one. Yeah. Okay. Watching City on the Edge of Forever and then like ignoring anything else, that's probably the right way to do it. But the fun way is to watch Yesteryear first. Don't, don't listen to them. <laughs> they, they, re, they did like a sequel episode on the animated series and it's the best episode of the animated series, but it's still not tremendously good. So. How did how did Harlan feel about that? <laughs> Harlan felt bad about most things, so I don't think we have to stretch our imaginations very far to say that he was not a fan. After after you watch, now we're getting deep into the city on the edge of forever woods, but we're after getting you into watch the history of the show behind the show yeah, that should have yeah. been made. After you watch City on the Edge of Forever, if you're still intrigued by like what Harlan Ellison's original idea was, um, there's actually a comic book, like a fully painted comic book, which adapts his original screenplay, and it's really interesting. You know, it, it's it's fascinating just from a, like a production standpoint and everything. Um, but yeah, definitely check out that episode. It's great. It does. Very cool. Well, given your familiarity with that character and and his place in 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 Star Trek lore, how did you feel about the way that he was used in this episode to set up um, Giorgio's farewell? Max? I thought it was absolutely freaking rad. I I was like, dang. That's dope. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just straight up did that, and I love it. Like I love. Did the it idea. take you a little time to like realize what was happening, or like as soon no. as you saw that guy with no, like, like his newspaper? It, it no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that because like I was like, it's like City on the Edge of Forever because like there's a door, but there's also a guy, and it's not the same door. So like at the end when his voice changed and he said, "I am the Guardian of Forever," I lost my <laughs> mind because what I, they did was they, they basically pulled the audio from the original episode for that line you know? oh okay yeah it was absolutely amazing because at that point like like Giorgio has gone through a crazy thing and like that whole time like I'm thinking like a lot of other people like is this really happening is she in the past is she, or or is she in a simulation is this a dream like what's going on and when he said I am the guardian of forever I was like okay 
everything is up in the air now. Like, I don't know where we are, and I think this is incredible. I love this, and I wish Star Trek did weirder stuff like this more often. <laughs> and and just as far as, like, how it played out in real time, you know, this was a two-parter. So in part one, there, there are, like, very, very subtle references and Easter eggs, you know, which kind of... I, I, more to to that original screenplay that was unproduced than than the actual episode. Yeah. So there was tons and tons of speculation amongst the fans, you know, after part one, but before part two, as to whether or not this was the Guardian. And you know, people were saying like, look at this, look at this, look at this. It seems like it's the Guardian. And you know, people were you know doing Twitter polls and stuff. And there were a lot of people who were like, this is definitely the Guardian. I personally thought. That it wasn't because there's enough difference that it, it felt to me more like it was an homage, but not, you know, not not the actual thing. And it was a bit of a surprise when they that there is that reveal at the end of part two. Um, but it, it was definitely a, a really cool moment. Yeah, I, I was like, I was like, is it a guardian of something else? Like, is it is he the guardian of never? Is he the guardian of could have maybe like uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to know, like, I thought, like, it's a different door. Maybe he's a different guardian. Maybe there's more than one guardian. I mean, I mean, why wouldn't there be? There's got to be. Let's be honest. There's another guardian, right? I mean, yeah, there's uh, Marvel tells us that there's multiple guardians of the galaxy. So, OK, you know. there you go. Canonical. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I guess were you happy that that if you knew that Giorgio had to be written off, right? Because she has this spinoff coming sometime in the distant future. Are you happy with the way that they chose to do it? Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I am too. Uh, you know, that to me was the most interesting storyline of the season. It, it was actually, I mean, they they got me back later on, but it was kind of like once Giorgio left, I'm like. Well, that's what I was kind of here for, and now she's gone, so <laughs> I don't really know what we're going to do for the next three weeks. But, um, you know, it, it, the other thing about it is, like, I mean, this Section 31 show is going to be, I, I don't know, th that's the one that I'm looking out of all of these spinoffs and everything that they're doing, and there's a lot of them in the works right now. That's the one that really kind of strikes a chord with me, and, and I think could be way different from from everything which has been done and, and 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 really kind of interesting and you know any little hints or whatever as to what they're going to do with that i i, I just eat it up and i kind of you know had an idea in my head as to what was going to happen and how she was going to get to where she was going and everything and sort of like what that show would be and this throws all of that into doubt and now I have absolutely no idea what this show is going to be. And the possibilities are really, really intriguing. And I'm getting my hopes up now that this is going to be like a show that takes place in the 1960s. And when it's not, I'm sure I'm going to be disappointed, but it's not, <laughs> but, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved it. That was, you know, like the highlight of the season for me, I think. 
That's great. I mean, for me, just any chance to get to watch Sinequa uh, Martin Green just getting to play just campy evil is is a lot of fun. So that alone was worth it. <laughs> I think I maybe could have done with one episode instead of two um, of the Mirror Universe because mm-hmm. kind of by the end of episode one, you know where everything is headed. You know, um, I feel like they had an episode and a half worth of story and they had to kind of stick it into a two episode uh, pile but um but it was a lot of fun and I, I i also was upset to see her go though because i think that her relationship with with michael is is one of the best things about the show for the last three seasons i was so excited that she ended up on the on the ship when they were heading into the future um knowing that that meant that she would be sticking around and maybe even getting to see more of her which we kind of did there was only a couple of episodes where she was like mysteriously absent <laughs> where she was just like innocent just like wait where is she oh because michael needs to talk to her other mother this episode so so she just can't be around <laughs> for us but, obsessives uh, who know all the news behind the scenes knowing that that Giorgio went into the future with them also knowing simultaneously that she has to do this section 31 show that's been in the planning for years. We're like, what are they even doing? Now they got to explain her leaving. What a, that's a bird. Why do that? And then they're like, Oh, guardian of forever. That made it work. And I'm like, yeah, it did. You guys win. <laughs> Listen, when it comes to star Trek, you know, the, the sky, the sky is limitless, right? That's the whole deal. So I'm glad that they, yeah. I'm glad we got to spend a little bit more time with them together because, yeah. you know, Section 31, it could be, I, I worry a little bit about that as a spinoff because I'm afraid that it's kind of, given the fact that it's like the the kind of amoral, like, SWAT team of the Star Trek universe, I worry that it's like a little bit going to be the kind of like modern edgy version of Star Trek and I feel like we don't really need that in the world right now, but... Um, <laughs> but, but that's that's the thing, though, because obviously that's most people's concern. Right. And, you know, the, the creators have addressed that. And, you know, they're like, this is not like we to- we're totally there. It's discovery writers who are working on it. Boyan Kin and Kim and, and uh, Erica Lapolt, the, the two two writers who, who wrote the, these two episodes, actually. And, um, you know, they've said, like, this that's not what this is going to be. The thing that they've kind of compared it to is sort of like a a Mission Impossible type of show, you know, where it sounds like it's going to be more like fun spy adventures, which you kind of think like, well, how does that work? You know, but hey, you said it in the 60s and maybe that works. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, it's not set in okay. the 60s. All right. All right. Well, we'll see about that. Stop <laughs> fantasizing and writing fan fiction about okay, it. Okay. 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 Maybe it's set in it's the 2060s. It could be twenty sixties. Although that's a pretty, I mean, that's sort of like the bleakest time in, in the the oh, timeline, yeah. to be honest. Oh, so, you mean yeah. like the kind of time when you really need some people, like Section Thirty One, to keep the I'm, timeline from spinning out of control? Could, could be. Yeah. Could be. All right. See, I think we're onto yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> but while we while we contemplate that, um, I want to kind of dive a little deeper into the series finale, which we've barely kind of discussed. Basically. Seri- this or it's not series finale. Sorry, the season finale. <laughs> um, the season finale is basically broken up into two halves. There's the one half where we have, you know, the uh, the culmination of the Osira arc, where she uh, has kind of commandeered the Discovery and has decided she she wanted to make peace with the Federation, but but the Admiral decided the only way for her to make peace is if she um, basically stands for war crimes, which is kind of a tough ask, I'll be honest. Um, In that episode, basically the first half of a two-part finale, it's not an official two-parter, but it might as well be, um, 
they basically, that's when we learn that Osira and the Emerald Chain, which she represents, are not actually pirates, like we've kind of been led to believe this whole time, but they're actually like a whole society with like a legislature, and she has to use her political capital in order to get a, <laughs> to get a charter made or whatever. That kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but we learn that and we learn that they're basically she wants to she wants to merge with the the federation so that way she could take advantage of the spore drive in a diplomatic way instead of just commandeering it and when admiral vance uh decides that she needs to stand for what she's the atrocities that she's committed uh she backs out and tries to take the ship and uh and tries to kill everybody on board, basically, and Michael Burnham has to kind of outsmart her first and then kick her ass um, before saving the day and earning her place as the new captain of Discovery. Meanwhile, we have a very kind of emotional climax to the question of what started the burn, where we find out that it was a a little boy who saw his mom die um, while on a radioactive planet, I guess, um, caused his pain caused the explosion of every ship in the galaxy. Um, and it was up to our lovable Captain Saru to kind of get him to process those feelings in a healthy way. Uh, so that way they could all get off the the, the ship um, that he had crashed on as an, uh, an in utero uh, child <laughs> um, and lived in his entire life. Uh, before that ship finally kind of succumbs to the intense radiation that it has been uh, trying to fend off for decades. A century, maybe, I think they said. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, you know, Saru gets his therapy session in, nobody nobody dies, and uh, he gets to retire on his home planet teaching our, our lovely little um, person who we met a couple of episodes ago uh, how to be a person outside of the simulation, which is, I think, something that... In lockdown, world kind of really resonated. I think we're all going to need to lo- have a visit from Saru where we can learn how to live in the real world come next year. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's sort of the that's sort of the plot. Um, Max, I'm curious. You kind of hinted about not really loving the resolution of the burn, and that it was actually just like you know male feelings that caused everything to explode, which I think kind of has some resonance in our modern context. Yeah, no. <laughs> but like- uh, what do you think? It's it's it, it it's a it's a it's a frustrating moment where where like the the theme of the season has been like disconnection and like where do I belong and like who am I in this place and like that sort of like thematic thing like it's like theme isn't story so when they're like establishing like the story the story is this thing happened this this this, this galactic disaster and everyone was, was scattered and we couldn't communicate we couldn't travel anywhere and and criminal syndicates uh, ended up taking control because there was no way for us to coordinate our efforts to prevent them so like they 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 gained power and now like the emerald chain the most dominant of all of them has spread out because they're they are ruthless and they're able to be a trans like transplanetary an interplanetary crime syndicate masquerading as a government and um like all mafiosos when they get powerful enough they want to go legit so osiro wants to be legit and like like all of this is like writing on the wall and this is all it is and it's like this is where we're going here but remember the theme okay that's why this burn happened the theme not the story the theme is why the burn happened. And I'm like, okay, writers, you can't 
just say that the reason this thing happened is the theme. You have to explain why the theme is the logical consequence of events. So I was frustrated by that. I'm still frustrated by that. I think it ultimately works, but I think that 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 point where they revealed the cause of the burn is a major problem because that's not what the show was saying the burn was from metatextually. So whatever, it's a great thematic moment that, that the whole burn is a form of disconnection that shattered everyone else's connections throughout the galaxy. Thematically, that's awesome. If it was a poem, I would say it's awesome and it's rad <laughs> and it's pretty cool and I wish it rhymed. Like, there's all sorts of things about that that are great. The one thing about that is not great is that it does not fit the narrative. Mike, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with it. I mean, there's there's a, a thread on on Twitter that has kind of gone viral from uh, Alex Perry, who's uh, a contributor to Trek Core, which is kind of the big Star Trek uh, news site. And you know, he talks about how you know people say that the the burn is caused by you know this little kid who's who's sad that his mom died, but like in reality, you know, you got to look at like what led to those events and you know the 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 bigger story there the bigger issue is that the the burn was caused by the federation's own neglect you know and like i i I totally get that it all makes sense to me in that way i guess i'm not so uh, uh, i don't know critical of the fact that the burn is caused by a kid who's upset as i am sort of like I don't know. Incredulous as to like the the mechanics of it, you know. I which I, I know again, <laughs> Star Trek, whatever you can do, whatever you want. But that is like sort of a big leap for for me personally to make. And I can't say that there's any particular reason for that, other than when I'm watching it, I don't buy it, you know. And and that I guess is is my my biggest problem with it. But maybe I, he's I, a nascent guardian. Uh, maybe that's what it is, <laughs> I, you know. But but I can I can get over it. I kind of think that the burn itself is 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 a dumb thing, and I think the explanation for the burn is also kind of a, a dumb thing. But I I get how it works thematically. So yeah, I I think that there's certain aspects of it that work, right? The idea that this is something that happened to 30, 130 years ago, like we were talking about, and was this kind of like unsolvable problem. The fact that the reason why it happened was because of this kid that no one knew existed in this kind of nucleus field that no one knew existed, mm-hmm. like uh, caused it all to happen. Like it, it's mysteriously, it's mysterious enough and it's kind of just like completely out there enough that you would understand why a hun- over 100 years later people wouldn't have figured that out, right? So I think it make, it meets that test, which is good because you kind of need something. It can't be too simple of an explanation after a century has gone by where people haven't been able to figure it out, right? So I think that, I think that it passes that test. 
I think it also passes the test of sort of like being character based for our characters, which is as it for a TV show, one of the more important things. Like it really, really allows Saru, who is really going on a journey this season as the captain, right? This is his first season as the official captain, and and he really is showing his growth as character over the course of this season and his ability to kind of lead his own way uh, through so, uh, empathy and nurturing the crew and and really trying to find the strengths in all of the people who he cares about. Um, I think that that really kind of culminates well in that in that storyline. And it really lets him be heroic in a way that he often doesn't get to be heroic because Michael Burnham is the sort of action hero of the se- of the show, right? So I, I really I liked that from that perspective as well. Um, but I do agree, Mike, that it just it's hard to believe that like a, like we're talking about a show that like spends, so much time being like well the science of this is this and we're going to like use our scientific know-how to figure out the exact origin and all this stuff so they really kind of like get you ready for it to be like scientifically based and even if it's completely like nonsense science they're still kind of like making you expect something that would sound plausibly like believable in a scientific way even if it's just space magic right and with this it just really feels like actually it's literally just space magic like don't worry about it (laughs) and that does kind of uh it it kind of like brushes up against against me a little uncomfortably i I have to admit but but i don't think it's a total failure and and i also think it's just like you we're we're like a thousand years in the future in in a crazy sci-fi universe like why not right why not let it be this if it works from a thematic perspective and it and it allows our characters to kind of have this these like major catharsis along the way um so you know that's kind of where i landed i do wish though that it that the the finale felt a little less bifurcated and that it really the one story connected at all with the other story like the only connection that's really there is the fact that like this the discovery crew has to get back to that asteroid or or planet wherever they are um before everyone dies um but that that's very tenuous compared to um compared to like where it could be so it really feels like you're watching two completely separate stories that just are happening to 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 occur at the same time um was that an, an issue for you guys at all I mean, yeah, a little. I mean, it it felt like a lot of the the Sakal storyline felt like the need was felt to get Saru to do something, and, and, I, and to get him off the ship. I think, yeah, so and that he, he, yeah. he wouldn't be captain anymore. Yeah. yeah, to get him to get him to do something so that he would be out of the way and that they could do something with him in the future. But like, they didn't want him there. And and he wasn't useful on the ship, and it, because they had this burden, they had to prove that Michael was the, the 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 right captain. She's the captain by default. She's always been the captain when she wasn't. She's been doing the job since like before she met any of these people. So right. like it felt a little bit like you know horse and cart, and let's make this 
buggy work, you know? Like, and, and also to kind of justify Tilly as, as Suru's choice to be in charge when he was gone, right? Like, that was a big... There's a lot of, like, hero moments for Tilly where you're like, okay, well, she really deserves to be there even if she's in over her head. And that, I think that was a really important part of those last three episodes as well. Mm, I, I would say that she didn't need those hero moments because she already <laughs> earned that spot. But that's fine. If you want to bash Tilly, go ahead. That's your point. <laughs> but, but, but also, I mean, how satisfying is it to, to see her get her moments, you know? I mean, I don't know. It was like my favorite part. Yeah, I thought she was. A, I thought that the the contrast between her hero moments here and her hero moments in previous seasons was that she got to be the sort of like quintessential, at least from my perspective, which is an under uh, educated perspective, I'll admit, the sort of quintessential like Star Trek leader, where she was was magnanimous in her in her leadership and didn't need to be the hero. She was able to kind of utilize her resources and, and elevate her crew. And so that way they could be the hero and that that act was in its own way, even more heroic than if she tried to kind of like fall on the wire herself. Right. So I like, I liked that, that as a moment of like real kind of like stewardship of this group of people and like that she could actually inspire, not just through her deeds, but through her faith in people. And that I thought that was all well ed- well kind of um executed um but i do (laughs) i do have like one like major complaint about the idea that like this was the opportunity for michael to show that she really deserved to be the captain because it basically like every season straight from the very first episode where she disobeyed direct orders and was blackballed basically from from the federation and from starfleet like she's constantly just like doing what she thinks is right in opposition of what like anyone around her thinks she goes rogue and then eventually everybody just comes around to being like oh well actually you were right we're glad that you went rogue and disobeyed orders and i feel like the first season really had this arc of like her kind of grappling with that and figuring out how to be like how to not go rogue right how to like work inside of this system and like balance her beliefs and in the second season they spend so much time dealing with her family kind of drama and setting that against what is in star trek starfleet's best interests that you kind of understand why she's going rogue in these situations because it's so personal but it's understood as like she's doing this for understandable reasons but she's not always making the right choices as a result and then here in this season it feels like they just finally like the writers just came around to being like our character is more interesting when she's not following orders so we're finally going to let everybody just like give up and be like yeah no fine just do whatever you feel like you need to do it's more fun this way <laughs> and i just i just wonder if that's really like if that's the arc that we wanted for this character over three seasons like we knew we always knew when she was announced as explicitly not being the captain that she was on an arc to eventually become a captain is this the arc that we wanted for her i don't see the arc that way i like i saw season one as michael burnham can't can't trust anyone she can't put her faith in anyone and she learns like to put her faith in herself and in season two she only really has faith in herself she thinks people around her are competent but she can't really 
let them go. She can't let them do things like without worrying that they're going to screw things up because she only really knows that she's got things under control. And in season three, it's her learning that you know she, everyone around her is up to the challenge and they've got it and she can trust them. And that is exactly where she's supposed to be. And she's always been a rogue. She's always been a rule breaker. That's not going to change. What has changed is she has learned to be a leader. Hmm. Mike, what do you think? Um, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting, t- I, I, I think that, that, you know, uh, either one of those could work, I, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I haven't really thought about it that, that thoroughly. Uh, one thing that, that I, I will say about it though, is I really felt like this was kind of the end. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, when they were making this, they were thinking like, this is going to be a serious finale, but I think at some point in, in the process, I mean, maybe back in season one or, or season two or whatever, they, intended for this show to be three seasons and it was going to end with her taking the captain's chair and now there's going to be a season four which is going to kind of like dramatically change the dynamic and and everything like that but I, i really kind of feel like this in some way is like a season finale like she's reached the end of her arc in a sense you said season instead of series. Series. Both of, series both of you had done that the wrong Sorry. way around in, in different ways. It's fascinating. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> Listen, yeah. it's late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I no, I think that personally, that's, I love I it. That's interesting. You guys could be critical. I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I choose I to be Mike positive. Was being critical. <laughs> I think I think Mike was. was oh no! Just. Our dynamic is that Mike is ruthlessly negative, and I'm <laughs> super bubbly and love everything. That's our thing, right? Uh, for for those who aren't familiar with, it's the exact opposite of that <laughs> all the time. So, anyway. <laughs> so, on that note, um, I guess I was gonna ask, like, what you thought about Osira as as a villain. We kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, I, I personally, just to start off, feel like Janet Kidder did, like, an excellent job in the role. She was really fun. Um, but the show, like, I, I, number one, I don't really feel like it needed, like, a mustache trolling villain in this season. I feel like there was so much going on that, like, it really could have just been, like, figuring out the burn and, and managing the kind of rift between this, between the Federation and the and the rest of the planets without really needing an explicit antagonist to defeat at the end. Um, but she was really fun, so I'm not necessarily upset that we ended up spending some time with her. Um, I think the choice of, of having her die at the end of the season is an interesting one, the fact that she won't recur. I also felt like that penultimate episode where they tried to all of the sudden give her a tremendous amount of like uh character dimensions and like uh make her this like morally gray figure for literally like 15 20 minutes um whereas previously she was fully like evil villain like killing her cousin just for kicks like just like totally insane and then all of a sudden it's like well she's actually a diplomat and a leader and has a lot of people's respect and really there's more to her than that um i thought that was a bit much <laughs> but then they immediately got rid of that in the very next episode and we're like no actually she's just a mustache trolling villain don't worry about it um so <laughs> i thought that was that was an interesting choice. Um, but 
yeah, I definitely, I kind of wish that she got away at the end and we could have seen her pop up again as a recurring character moving forward. What do you guys think about her as a villain this season? I, I thought she was cool, uh, for sure. I think because it, it is, it, it kind of reminded me in some ways, uh, like in terms of personality and everything of like Eric Bana in uh, Star Trek 09, where he's not the sort of like Shakespearean type of of you know, villain, even though like he has that backstory, you know, when, when he first sees, you know, Pike, he's like, hi, Christopher, you know, like things like that, you know, and, and she kind of had that same energy in a lot of ways, which I thought was, was interesting because it made her seem more like a, a real person. And, you know, like you were saying fun, even though she's, you know, diabolically fun. Um, <laughs> so, and, and I thought that, you know, what they were trying to do, in that second to the last episode where she's like, let's work it out. You know, let's, let's actually do this. And there was a moment there where it's like, are they actually going to do this? You know? And I, I don't know. I, I thought that that was a, a kind of a fascinating thing and, and just sort of the, the politics involved and everything um, kind of hit home in, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, considering what's going on now. Um, but uh in in a way after they did that i kind of was disappointed in the fact that it ended in a in a fight you know but um but it would be cool to see her continue but i don't have a problem with them you know killing off the character the way that they did yeah i just i specifically really disliked when like her scientist friend or i guess ward if you will who she i guess rescued as a child he has a disability that made him unlikable or unvaluable but she just she saw promise in him and decided to save him and then he gives many monologues about how you don't know the real osira she's actually very complex and it's like is she though and then like immediately you find out in the next episode i guess she isn't it's just like i don't I feel like that was I, I I feel like either you gotta you gotta really justify that by layering that into the character throughout or or else you just or at least stick to it for the last two episodes. But it was just it was a very odd choice to me to have yeah. that for just the episode where you're supposed to be like, should we trust her? And then the answer is no, you shouldn't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, Max, what did you think about that? I, I think I think your reactions are fascinating because, like, I thought, like, obviously, like, this is like the burn is social media disconnection. Uh, obviously, all these people who are are controlled by the Emerald Chain are living in fake news worlds. Like, they believe that Osira is a benevolent leader. They they think Osira is here to save us, and the Federation are hoarding technology, and, like, they think they're the cops, but really they're just crooks. Like, that's, like, I, like, I saw her scientist friend, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is from, like, she, he believes that Osira is a benevolent leader who's trying her her best to do the best for her people and obviously the only way to do that is capitalism because those socialist systems fall apart immediately like look what happened <laughs> to the federation those guys whoa stinker right there capitalism that's was, the way to go i thought it was a little on the nose when he was like i mean it's just like venezuela all over again like i thought they could have done without that yeah <laughs> it's not it's like it's a frustratingly on the nose thing so like when they have the scientists show up i'm like obviously he's gonna be on board like i uh, like to me when when Osira goes and tries to get go legit I'm like this is what 
power mad like like kleptocrats do they get enough money and power and they're they want to go legit and obviously like to, to properly represent current um history and experience of the world um the power mad dictator on top of a, a transnational crime syndicate uh is uh, an unexpected skin color um <laughs> one that does not appear in nature uh at least currently on earth um so th there that's the idea that's what osira represents and that's where where she is and that's why i wish at the end that osira had not died and had in fact been arrested so that maybe we wouldn't get a trial next season but we'd at least get like osira is is going to prison for the rest of her life because i think that was a deserved moment Although it was very cool when Michael shot her through the computer that had absorbed Michael. That was a pretty pretty awesome moment. So I, I understand the temptation. Yeah, it's a cool moment. I just hope, <laughs> I, I just wish she wasn't dead. That's all. I just I, I like that was that was really wild to me. I like I had a lot of feelings. I was like, wait, the computer, you could just like get sucked into the computer, number one. Yeah, it, it, and then number two, you could just survive being sucked into the computer. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you puke it back up, you're all good. <laughs> yeah, what what was she puking up exactly? Were those like microbits? Like what was happening? I that was a lot. I really that, yeah. I think I, it was I, I think it was is programmable matter used for for computational purposes, and it has to be in three dimensional space because it has to move around to be more efficient for data acquisition. Hard drives have similar technology, and it's far more rudimentary. Imagine if you could do it with programmable matter, guys. Put your head cannon hats on and do some work yourselves. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so she is of the Orion uh, race. Do you expect to see more of them in the future? Like, are you hoping that they kind of become Discovery's version of the Klingons or the Romulans, or like headed with another with a, a an eye to the future? I think it'll be there. I mean, the Orions have a, I mean, they were in the very, very first episode of Star Trek, you know, and they've gone through uh, a lot of different, um, I don't know, permutations as, as a society, our society has, has changed. So of the Orions. And um, I, I think that they're here to stay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah Max, the, do you agree? Yeah. Now the Orion, like, world and the emerald chain uh by extension like that whole like criminal world like that that community they have to deal with the ramifications of the emerald chain like falling it's the fall of the soviet union as a it's a mafia state you've got to deal with it or it's going to come back and bite you later like i don't know 30 years <laughs> yeah so uh clarification um did michael commit genocide on the emerald chain in that final action sequence because <laughs> uh, there was a like they basically were like yeah we're just gonna like dump our engines and it's gonna create like a nuclear explosion and like everything's gonna blow up and we're gonna get out just in the nick of time which was very exciting but it seemed like they murdered a lot of people which doesn't really feel like the star trek way I i'm curious if i misunderstood something there <laughs> Yeah, there probably were a lot of people who died there, but I I, I don't think that it was was genocide. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many. I mean, it's it's weird when you think about like Death Stars blowing up and everything, and it's like <laughs> these things are big, aren't they? But um, yeah, there's yeah. thousands. There's there's like thousands of people on just Discovery alone, right? Yeah, well, and some yeah. of those some of those ships were way bigger than Discovery. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Genocide, schmetocide. 
<laughs> so I usually end these episodes by asking if you're going to be watching um, the next season, but I think that's kind of a given. So instead, so I'm going to ask, what are you guys looking forward to for uh, the first Michael Burnham uh, season as captain? Of course, some of the dangling plot threads is, as you mentioned, the sort of collapse of the Emerald Chain, uh, the sort of uh, mission that Admiral Vance gives Michael, which is to reconnect the various strains of the Federation now that they have the spore drive at their ready. And uh, and of course, Paul Stamets is not very happy with, with Michael after she basically uh, prevented him from saving his whole uh, family um, for the greater good. And, uh, and she seems shocked that he's not fine with it now that they're reunited. And I kind of feel like she should know a little better <laughs> that it wasn't going to be that easy. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, what are you, Max, what are you looking forward to for, for next season? Um, like I, I, I'm looking forward to like, honestly, like ultimately it comes down to like, who am I looking forward to seeing again? And I'm looking forward to seeing all of them again. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Michael Burnham, Tilly, uh, Detmer, Wosakone, uh, I honestly, Saru, honestly, I'm cooling on him. I'm, I, I might be over Saru. He really dropped the ball. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we're gonna see much of him. I think it might be like a one episode. They stop by that planet and he, and he says hi, or maybe, or maybe like she, like they go back to um, Navarre and and it turns out he's been dating that that one Vulcan chick who he was flirting with in that one episode. Like that's I a see- do- that's a great idea. That's a great <laughs> idea. I would love that if they did an episode of Saru trying to 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 date. That would be great. <laughs> They could just they could just fully go three camera with it and studio audience it and I'm a hundred percent on board. Let's make it happen. Hashtag what's the hashtag? You know there 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 are a lot of fans who are very upset that that Saru is no longer captain and when it looked like Saru was gone, you know there are a lot of fans who are very very upset. And something that they've gotten out in front of immediately is that Saru is not going anywhere. He's here to stay. You know, who knows what role he'll take, but he's by no means off the show. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I, I kind of thought that he might be mostly off the show because just looking at CBS All Access, um, they're going to be turning into the Paramount Plus network this this year um and they seem to be cutting back a lot on on what cbs all access was trying to do in that transition uh another major show that was on that network is the good fight and the good fight has lost basically half of its cast in the last year um due to apparent budget cuts and so i was kind of thinking that it wasn't a coincidence that like the two most famous actors from discovery both exited this season but it's encouraging to hear that they're planning on making him that still be a part of the show because he's a character that i like i feel like we got a lot of him this season and and i liked him as the captain i thought he brought a very interesting dimension to the show but um but it ultimately is michael's show and i think that they gotta figure out a way to make her really truly be the lead at this point in both in both the, the series and on that ship so i think that it was it was time yeah i i'm i'm kind of with max i'm sort of over through too but we're Definitely in the minority on that one. Saru is by far the favorite amongst the fans. That feels that feels predictable. You know, I feel like 
that that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. This is but so what love are, him because each, he's a bald captain. Each yeah. each show has you know the Spock character, and it, it, he's usually the most popular character on the show. And Saru is absolutely one hundred percent the Spock character on Discovery. Yeah, because all the fans they want to be the action hero, but they know they're really the 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 science officer, and they're happy, <laughs> so they connect to the science officer the most. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so what are you looking forward to for next season? Um, you know, what I'm looking forward to most next season is finding out the origins of Cleveland Booker's name, as they teased in the oh season finale. Oh, my God. Aren't you excited <laughs> about Cleveland Booker's story time? Oh. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can't say that there's any one specific thing that I'm looking forward to. I mean, I guess I am looking forward to the new dynamic of, um, you know, Burnham as captain. But honestly, when you look at, like, the slate of Star Trek programming that they have planned and this has been true for a while now, like Discovery is kind of at the bottom for me. Not that I don't like it or anything like that. Maybe it's because it's, you know, the the, the one which has been around the longest and we kind of know what the deal is. And, you know, we're always excited to see what form Star Trek will take in the future. But uh, honestly, like of the three shows which are on now, Discovery is my least favorite. And of the two spinoffs that, that uh are, are coming you know from discovery both of those sound more interesting than than what they're actually doing on discovery so i i can't say that there's anything in particular that i'm really looking forward to but that being said of course i'm going to watch it. It, it it's something that i've learned over the years is that it doesn't really matter whether or not star trek is good or bad i'm always going to watch it because i always see it as a reflection of the times that we're living in. And I think it's really important to see how Star Trek sees the world. So I'm always going to watch it no matter what. And I don't want it to come across like I don't like Discovery. I, I love Discovery. I Mike just... is anticipating me attacking him for saying <laughs> this. He's, he's, just... he's like on the defense. He's like, what's he going to say? He's going to say, I watch Discovery like I watch a first wife planning for the <laughs> next one because she's younger and, and prettier and it's crazy. Like that's because like, he knows I'm going to do it because I've already thought of a bunch of jokes along those lines. So no. good on you, man, for thinking ahead. Yeah, no, no, I, I do. I do love Discovery and, and I, I did like season three a lot, uh, but I can't say that there's anything about it where I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what they do next. Because honestly, I'm way more invested in everything else that they're doing outside of Discovery. Yeah, I can understand. Although, I mean, oh, no, a... You know what? I, I take that back. The one thing which I am super fascinated by, again, not to harp on this, but I really, really, really want to see how they're going to tie it into this short that they did, Calypso, because they completely <laughs> went in a direction which doesn't make any sense and, and uh, in regards to that, that short. And I, trying to connect it back is a damn near impossible task, and I can't wait to see how they do that. So there you go. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yes. Okay. I very much hope they do do that for you. Um, <laughs> I have, given how you've presented it thus far, I have my doubts, but I'll be excited <laughs> if it, if they pull it off. Yeah. Um, I think they I'm... just they just show the guy waking up, and he's like, oh, that whole thing must have been a dream. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no spoilers, but you, you definitely watch Calypso because it does tie in heavily to what's been going on in Discovery. But, okay, I definitely yeah. will. Um, I'm, de- I think I'm really, I'm really excited by this show. This is still a new show for me, right? You, this is, it's old hat for you guys because you've been watching it for the last three years. But for me, it's all brand new because I only just started watching it last spring. 
and um, and I'm really I'm still invested in the characters first like first and foremost. I think that you know some of the writing is a little bit suspect, like a little bit here and there this season. But you know when Michael's mom came back, I got emotional. You know like when like I care about these people and I'm excited to check in on them and and watch them go on new adventures. I like the idea that they are going to be more of this kind of traditional like kind of just going from planet to planet and and catching up with what has happened and i'm sure there'll be a, an overarching story but i i just want to see like are they going to go see what's up with the klingons or are they are they going to go check in on the borg like what what the deal is with that like i just want to see them like pop up on different planets and like be like oh it's this is what the future's like here like i think that alone would be fun <laughs> so and and i'll say like this show aired at the exact same time that the Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, aired. And it's a controversial opinion, but I enjoyed this much better than I enjoyed the second season of The Mandalorian. I think The Mandalorian has, like, all the money and, like, a lot better, like, effects. And, and obviously, um, it looks fantastic. Um, but this show actually has characters and relationships and emotion and i'm a sucker for those things so i feel like the contrast between like the spectacle of the mandalorian and and the heart and optimism of star trek really really was on display this this fall and winter and and it made me love the show that much more so i'm really i'm really excited to see what comes next and and it might even inspire me to one day dive deeper into the star trek canon and and check out some of the older stuff because I get the feeling that I would probably like a lot of it. Well, here's what we have to do. Uh, not to put you on the spot on there, but whatever. Um, what, <laughs> Welcome what, what, to the spot. <laughs> what, what, what you need to do is we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you a list of like one episode from each show, right? And you can watch just that one episode. Uh, here we come. The and fun then... part of any podcast. <laughs> the part where Mike makes a list. Yes. Everybody, <laughs> get excited and shoot off your fireworks. Mike's making a list. What? You say Mike's making a list now down by the swimming hole? Let's all run down to Mike, Mike make a list, because this is exciting. Okay, what I'm saying is, you, 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 you get a little taste of, of, what, of, of what the franchise has, has, has in store for you, or whatever, and then you come on to our show, and you can tell us whether or not any of it is any good. Okay, I will definitely be game to do that. Okay, so cool. I'm... We'll we'll definitely continue that conversation off the air because that sounds like fun. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you guys so much for coming on. We went way longer than I expected, so I appreciate you giving all your time tonight. Um, Max, where can we find more of your stuff out there on the internet? Uh, I'm J Max Hagel, Twitter, and I same thing on Instagram, but I don't use it. And uh, we do the podcast, Mike and I, um, uh, film damage. FilmDamagePod.com. Yeah. FilmDamagePod. You know what? I'm going to handle this. Mike, <laughs> up to you. Okay, yes. Yeah, so you can find him on, at jmaxhagel on, on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And we do Film Damage. Just look for Film Damage on iTunes or whatever. Or go to FilmDamagePod.com. We uh, talk about film projection uh, time travel, you know, looking at time travel movies and Star Trek episodes and seeing whether or not they work like in a logical way. Boilers. And, 
No. They don't. <laughs> and and um, then, of course, we also do commentaries for all the new uh, Star Trek episodes as they air. Um, and then you can also find uh, me on TalkFilmSociety.com doing a show called Trek Film Society, where uh, we watch uh, each of the Star Trek movies and then pair it with an episode from somewhere in the franchise. And you can also find me on the Nerd Party News, at, which is at uh, thenerdparty.com. Awesome. That's very busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can check back in to Pop Break TV uh, in a couple weeks for our next episode of TV Break, which I host with Josh Cernacki and Bill Bodkin. And we talk about all the ins and outs of TV that month. Um, elsewhere, uh, you can find me reviewing every episode of WandaVision uh, this uh, this month and next month. Um, oh. And I'm going to be starting a superhero column for Pop Break that is still unnamed, but it'll be coming out at the beginning of February. So look for that soon as well. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. We will see you next month. <laughs>